Latino Stories, Historias Latinas, es un podcast que nace del proyecto de narrativas orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio, con entrevistas en español, inglés, and Spanglish. Welcome to Latino Stories. I'm Elena Faulis. Today, we start a series on discussions about Latino fatherhood. Hoy me acompañan Juan David Coronado y Ramón Benavides. Uh, can you please introduce yourselves? Tell me uh, your, your names, profession, where you grew up, and where you live now, um, and how you identify as Latino, Chicano, Mexican-American, etc. Go ahead, Ramon. Okay, go ahead. Okay, I'm Ramon Benavides Jr. I was born and raised in uh, Brownsville, Texas, in the Rio Grande Valley. Uh, um, I now live in El Paso, Texas, through my wife. My wife was born and raised in El Paso. Uh, I've been teaching here science, well, anything science, but mostly by bi anything biology for the last 13 years since uh, uh, 2009. Um, I, I teach at Del Valle High School, which is also along along the border. Uh, kind of the, the neighborhood I, I teach in kind of resembles the neighborhood I grew up in there in Brownsville. And um, I've lived in San Antonio, I've lived in Houston, but uh, now I call El Paso home. And um, and I'm teaching, which is which has come to full uh, full circles. I'm teaching now in a borderland where I was raised in and in paying it forward. Uh, my name is uh, Juan David Coronado. Uh, I'm a historian by training. Uh, I teach at Central Connecticut State University in New Britain, Connecticut. Uh, I grew up in the Rio Grande Valley as well, a uh, town uh, named Edinburgh, Edinburgh, Texas, uh, about what, 20 minutes from the border. Uh, I now live in Bristol, Connecticut, uh, where I've been here since 2019. My focus is on the Chicano, Chicana, Chicanx experience. Like I said, I'm a historian by training, uh, but my focus has been on Chicano Vietnam War veterans. And I, I do identify as as Chicano. Um, so tell tell us a little bit about your family makeup. How many brothers or sisters uh, do you have? And are you the oldest or the youngest in the family? Ramon, let's start with you. That way, we'll okay. Uh, there's there's four. I have um, I was my mom, my dad, and uh, three sisters. And I am the only boy. Uh, I'm I had two older sisters. We were all strategically planned, which is, is hard, hard to sometimes say when it comes to a uh, 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 Mexican-American or Latino family or, or Chicano family, is uh, we were planned. And uh, we were all about four, four to about three to four, maybe five years apart. And I have an older sister. Um, she's eight years older than me, about eight or nine years older than me. Then I have uh, another sister, then it's myself, and then it's my younger sister who's about four years younger than me. So it was four of us. And uh, the family dynamics in itself, me being the only boy, was, was kind of crazy. For the longest time, I thought the world revolved around me until uh, re until life and reality hit. It, it, I found out that it didn't. So uh, that's just to say the least. That's how our fam family dynamics was. So you're telling me you were consentido? Is that oh, what you? Oh yeah. With, with growing up, now I look back and I and I see how privileged I was to be the only male. And also when it comes to the namesake and and so forth. So being named after my dad. And then um, my, I guess my wife knew the importance of it. So we named my son also Ramon Benavides and he's the third and his nickname is Trey. Uh, yeah, it, like I said, it was, it was pretty, 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 um, uh, how can I say to, in, a, in a good way is that it was when, when life hit me in the, in the face, uh, re realizing that I'm not the only one around, around here or the most important one was, was kind of <laughs> shocking to me. Uh, how about you, Juan? I only have an older sister. Um, my older sister, Yesenia, she's five and a half years older than, than, than myself, but we grew up in a very tight-knit 
family where my grandmother lived with us part of the year. Uh, as she got older, she, she, she lived with us. And so that meant that our household was the center for the family, right? Uh, my tias, my tios would come by, my primas and primos would come and visit. So uh, I always grew up uh, very close to, to my family. Uh, being that I'm the youngest, uh, you know, I think my sister treated me uh, not just like a little brother, but uh, she was very protective of me. So I think I, I was very privileged in that, in that, in the fact that you know she watched out for me, right? And she she made sure that that I'd be okay. How was your father present in your lives? You know what he was that from from what I can remember, and 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 speaking to my sisters as well. Um, my two older sisters got to experience a migrant life. Uh, like I said, my both of my parents were generational migrant farm workers. My dad's side uh, were, were migrant farm workers on my mom's side as well. So when my two sisters came along. Uh, my two eldest sister, older sisters, they got to partake in that migrant life as well until I came along, and then that's when uh, both of my parents were, were had dropped out of school. They um, uh, my mom dropped out in eleventh grade, my dad dropped out in the eighth grade to work the fields in, in Lubbock and working the cotton fields out there. From what I understand, my my dad, from my older sisters, when before growing up, it, that he was he was always present, and in my life, he was always present. Uh, it was it was it was something that was we we could rely on and, and depend on. And one of the reasons he did that was because he wanted to break that cycle. Um, he would mention stories about his dad not being present and being absent sometimes. And so he didn't want them to do that for his kids. So he made it a point to always be there for everything that we did from, from my, like my three sisters and myself is, is make, the best that he, make, make the best attempt that he could for every function, every uh, school activity, everything that he could be possibly be a part of. Unless work called him away, which of course, in the beginning before he became, uh, he was an educator as well. He went back to school and became an educator uh, late in life. Uh, uh, so he was a, a high school building trades teacher for, for many years. And, and sometimes uh, before that, before he became a, a teacher, um, he worked several jobs just to keep us afloat. So we lived in a small little two bedroom home behind my grandparents' house. So my maternal grand, uh, grandparents, so they had a little small two bedroom house and we lived in a small two bedroom house behind them. And that's all we knew. We grew up in a little barrio there in, in Brownsville, Texas. And uh, we had some humble beginnings growing up, and my dad took on several jobs before he became went back to school and became an educator. Uh, I had a very similar experience. You know, my, my father uh, came from, like Ramon put it, you know, generational farm workers. You know, uh, he was born on the migrant trail. Uh, his family would follow uh, the cotton crop uh, from South Texas to Central Texas to, to West Texas. And... Uh, and my grandmother too, you know, my grandmother was born on, the, on that same migrant trail. Um, and it's, it's different when I try to explain to people my family history, you know, on my father's side, I'm a third generation Texan, but it was very different. You know, when, when you're a seasonal farm worker, that farm work labor uh, takes priority over everything else. Mm -hmm. and, and I think Ramon put it well, you know, that, you know, by the time that these folks were in the seventh, eighth grade, and, and back then, you know, that, you know, my father, you know, when he was going to school, you know, he would either get in late or get out early because they could work, you know, so school was not a priority at all, you know, it was putting food on the table for the family, right? uh, but it's a different lifestyle, you know, because it, it's not a traditional third generation Texan that you get to build roots and establish yourself, you know, you're a seasonal farm worker, you're, you're following that, that crop, 
and and you you get your hands on work and, and you get it done. On my mother's side, my mother was, you know, raised in Mexico, you know, so it's, it's a very different experience as well. Uh, but uh, my father was very present in our lives. You know, uh, I, I know uh, as a as a kid, you know, he was still working cotton. He was still uh, working in the Kanjins up in, in the Lubbock area, uh, Florida, Texas area. Uh, so he would, I remember, you know, being a kid and he'd be gone for, you know, part of the year because he was doing that kind of work. And as soon as he found steady work in, 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 in Edinburgh, uh, he no longer had to do that. Right. And I'm talking about, you know, by the time that I was about a three or four year old, you know, my father uh, took a job as the custodian at the local high school. And that meant that he had a year round job now and that, you know, he would no, no longer have to, you know, leave us behind uh, while he, he had to work. Uh, he worked second shift. So this meant that from three or four o'clock in the afternoon, he'd be working till about 10 and 11 o'clock at night. But, you know, next morning, he, he'd be the one taking me to school. Uh, so he, he would take me to school every morning. And I, I, every time I go back home, I don't know, it's kind of silly of me, but I had an older sister. So the routine as a kid was, uh, he would get in the car and he'd drop off, off he'd drop off my, my sister and then he'd take me to, to elementary. And for some weird reason, every time I go back home, I, I like to take that same route. Uh, it just brings back, I don't know, some, some silly memories. Right. But uh, he was very present in my education and, and he was always supportive, you know, when I, you know, decided to go to college and decided to go to grad school. Uh, he was always supportive of, of my endeavors in, in higher education. Can you think of, you know, the fact that you were the only male, um, how did that affect or um, how did that look like for you to have this um, place in your father's life? You know, how did, how did that work out? When it came through the perspective of the eyes of my mom, I, I was the chosen one, uh, being the only male. But when it came through the eyes of my, my dad, it reminded me that you're not. And uh, although, I, although I was carrying his, name, his namesake, he would always bring me back to reality and let me know that I still had to learn how to be a man and learn how to do things on my own. So one of the things that I have, and, and, I, and I share with my son now, who's 13, when I turned 13, uh, I remember he sat me down for a talk and he told me, from this day forward, your mom will no longer wash your clothes. Your mom will no longer iron your clothes. Your mom will no longer serve you. You're going to serve yourself. And if you have an opportunity to cook for yourself, you're going to learn how to cook. You're going to learn how to wash dishes. You're going to learn how to do everything that can be done around the house, cleaning. But from this point forward, you're going to do everything yourself. And I think that's, uh, I think my, one of, that's one of the things I carry now. And I think one of the things my, my wife loves, I, I, love those, I, I love to clean the kitchen. I love to wash dishes. I love to cook. I cook anything, you name it, I'll cook it. And um, it's one of the things that I always carry with me. And I share that with my little boy now. It's a transition because uh, he, he is uh, in, here in El Paso. He was the first um, grandchild. And now, little by little, I'm trying to remind him that, you know, I want to teach you what my, what my father taught me. Now that he's 13, you're going to learn how to wash your own clothes. You're going to learn how to take care of yourself. You're going to learn how to be responsible for your own actions and take accountability, basically. So with my mom, I, I, I you know, she would put me on the, she would put me on that pedestal and I was a mama's boy. But my dad was quick to remind me that, no, you got to learn how to take care of yourself and, and learn uh, the ins and outs of, of being accountable, what it, what it boils down to. And, and now that I look back with, in hindsight and look back, uh, uh, and I, I like to share my, my, my dad just recently passed away about three weeks ago. 
And so this 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 opportunity to share stories it means a lot to me. And I have a, a pin uh, with his picture on it, and uh, it was a tough loss. Like I said, he's always supported me in all of my endeavors. I was the only one who went away for college. Uh, I love sports. I was able to attain a football and track scholarship to Iowa, a small little school in Iowa. And uh, I remember dad, we need to go sign my letter of intent. And he was like, no, uh, we need to book flights. And he was like, no, we're going to drive. So you can see how far it is. So we went from the southern tip of Texas all the way up to the Midwest in Iowa. It was like about a 22, 23 hour drive. We had to stop in different rest areas. And uh, he showed me a rest area where they had to stop when they were young, when they would go look for work in Ohio. And he goes, this is where we're going to shower. We're going to I'm going to show you how it was to when we used to work up, up north. We would stop and just stop at a rest area and just shower. We showered in a rest area. Um, we then traveled up north. And he goes, you're going to see the reality of life. You're no longer the majority. You basically tell me you're no longer going to see your brown color. You're going to start seeing the different color. And you're going to be treated differently. And being young and being only or the only place I knew was South Texas, maybe every now and then go to Austin or Houston. But the reality hit me also when I when we drove up to Iowa, where we started getting different looks and we started and he started bringing that to me, bring it to the forefront and allowing me to see firsthand. And I under, I finally understood what, after the end of the trip, what he was trying to do. Basically, we could have easily flown into Kansas City, drive to Iowa and make that trip. But he wanted to show me traveling through, stopping through the lower areas in Oklahoma and so forth to see how different it was than South Texas. And it's those little things that I that I that I carry with me. Although, like I said, being being the only boy, that that's why he was always there, uh, always there for me. And I just recently graduated with my doctorate from uh, from Texas Tech Lubbock. He hadn't been to Lubbock since the '60s, since the last time he worked up there, and he couldn't make it because his health started failing. So. Uh, Recently, like I said, he just passed. So one of the things I did, I that day he passed, I had just received my my diploma, uh, and I had just collected, and I also collected a, a bag, a little sandwich baggie of cotton from Lubbock. So before he passed, I asked my mom, with her blessing, if I could put it in his casket. So I never got to see my diploma. I, I opened it up that same day. We we closed the casket. I put it into his casket, and I put a bag of cotton as well, so we I could bring Lubbock to him. Uh, I'm on my heartfelt condolences on the passing of your father. I actually told Elena last night, I, I don't think I could do this, Elena. I don't, I don't want to talk about this subject at all. You know, and I lost my father in 2010. Mm-hmm. And I still get very emotional just, you know, thinking about it. But we share something so in common. Uh, I, I was in grad school in Lubbock. And uh, it, was, it was probably the last winter I was there because the cotton crop is, is beautiful, you know, uh, at that time of year. And uh, I stopped at the side of the road in this field and I took I took some cotton and uh, I, I didn't get to put in my father's casket, which I, I, I definitely regretted soon after that. And because my father was such a quiet guy and shy guy, but you get him talk about cotton, he would not shut up. <laughs> you know, he would go on and on and on and on about that. So it's really interesting that we we definitely share that in common. And, and I don't know why, you know, I just, and like I'm like, yeah, I'm sure he he I, I thought to myself, I'm sure he'd appreciate it if I, I brought him back the kind. And he did, you know, he 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 thought it was nice. But going back to your question, Elena, so my sister's older than me, so she was definitely daddy's little girl. Uh being that she was the oldest and me being a, almost a late addition to the family, you know, her and my dad had this special bond uh where they even worked together, you know. Uh, you know, when my sister was in high school, he was a high school custodian. Uh, when my sister took took her first uh, teaching job, uh, he had just transferred to the to an elementary school. 
you know, for the last 10 years of my father's life, he and my sister uh, worked at the same place. And the same conversation that your father had with you at 13, my mother had that conversation with me. In our household, my father was definitely not the vocal one. My mom was the one who dictated rules. She's the disciplinarian. My father was there for support. And we never questioned that. So at a, at a young age, you know, I think even, you know, younger than 13, my mom's like, hey, uh, un día vas a estar solo. So you better know how to wash your clothes. You, know, you better know how to feed yourself. You, you better know how to cook. And I think my mom set that tone in our household. We were never served at the table. We understood that mom or dad had cooked. And there were things that my dad just cooked better than my mom. And there were things that my mom cooked better than my dad, right? Uh, but we knew that they had cooked. So the least we could do was serve ourselves, right? Uh, but I think we had a very similar upbringing in, in that sense. I'm on that. It's, it's that generation that knew how to do it all, right? They, they, they took charge of their lives. And they didn't depend on anyone uh, for for those little things, especially when you you have that that migrant farm worker lifestyle that you have to survive, right? And and I think that's one of the best things that my parents could do is ingrain that mentality in me. Like, okay, you're going to be alone one day, and and you're going to survive, and you need to survive. But you know, in in terms of the relationship I had with my father, I think being the youngest and being male, I I think he you know, we did have a, a very special bond. And, and I think my father always had a plan that if something were to ever happen, that I could be there for support for my family, you know, and I think he he was very happy in that sense that he finally had a, a male. Uh, he never treated, he never showed any favoritism uh, towards either one of us, you know, it was really just very diplomatic uh, type of approach that he had to, to my sister and I. Well, good. I love hearing this. Um, I love to hear the stories of, you know, fathers. And it seems like both of you have very different um, fathers with very, very different personalities. And I like that, right? What do you most remember about your father? What is one thing that you, that brings memories and, and you think, oh, that was, that was dad. That was him. For me, were the talks, the talks of just uh, almost anything. Um, he would just engage in conversation, even though he didn't know much about some of the stuff that I would talk about, but he would always find a way to just listen. He evolved uh, uh, growing up because I remember when we first, I remember my sisters when we were living in a little two bedroom home. Uh, my sisters used to iron his clothes for him and they had to be perfectly creased. They had to be starched. They had to be, uh, it had to be perfect. He was a, a, a maintenance worker at a, at, a, at a hotel, Fort Brown down in, down in Brownsville. Uh, Fort Brown Hotel, and he um, he was a maintenance worker, but everything had to be starched. Everything had to be clean and pressed. Everything he was, his, the way he presented himself with himself was immaculate. Like his clothes had just had to be perfect. His shoes had to be perfect. And that's when I came along. And like I said, in, at 13, I was surprised that he had this talk with me because I remember growing up as a, as a young, my mom would do everything. She would serve him. She would make food. She would wash his clothes and my sisters would iron. My sisters would wash the dishes. You know, that was their chore. My chore was just to take out the trash. But one of the things he he taught me and the things I remember the most is how he evolved from the from the earliest memories that I have to 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 the very end. Uh, but one thing he always he he kept he kept uh, reminding me of how important education was, and uh, that's one thing. Everything I wanted to pursue, uh, I have two science degree, I have a degree in biology, a degree in chemistry, 
Uh, my master's is in, in, in teaching in teaching science with a with a focus in neuroscience. And then when I told him I wanted to get my PhD, he was uh, he was excited for me. Uh, for me, uh, all I wanted to do uh, athletics was everything. Back in, back in the day, is uh, the only way out of out of the valley for, for the way they would teach us was was getting a sports scholarship. So I was able to attain that. And that's how I. But when that failed. He used to have a saying uh, growing up, and I think when I was younger, I would I would laugh at the saying because like, what does he mean? Like, you know, you know, something if I would fail at something or something would happen where I would self sabotage myself or something, he would always say, "¿Qué vas a hacer? ¿Ora qué vas a hacer?" And then finally, now that I'm older and a little bit wiser, and I started reflecting back on the, on, on those times, it was it was basically like, "What are you going to do? Basically, what are you going to do to get yourself back up? What are you going to do to get yourself going again?" And and that always resonates to me now, and I now I, I share it with my son. It's like. When he does something wrong or he, he fails at something like, what are you going to do now? What is, so basically, what is your plan? How are you going to get back on your feet and get going? That's pretty nice. Uh, I think my father, he had tremendous perseverance and he was very optimistic, just given where he started in life and just what he dealt with. And he never stopped being positive and optimistic about the situation. You know, my father lost his father at 14, you know, being one of the second oldest males in that family you know you know providing for the family took president over everything else right uh and I, I never remember seeing my dad waver you know for for anything you know like he he was not the macho type but you know he was the type of person that always found a solution to anything right from projects around the house working with his hands to simply, you know, providing for the family. I think he, he always had such a positive outlook on life and nothing that, you know, not the type like, oh, get it done or not like, you know, not, not in a cheesy kind of way, just that was just his natural way of being, you know? And I'm the opposite. Uh, I'm, I'm more like my mom where, you know, I'm, I'm a preocupon, I, I worry about things and, and I'm, usually not pessimistic but I do see the difficulty in things and you know I overthink sometimes right and my father just just hey he needed to fix something he got it fixed you know and and uh I really uh remember that uh every time I go visit my mother you know we we talk about her you know about about my dad and he had he had such a an amazing appetite um and Every on the weekends, you know, he'd like to, you know, take it easy and, you know, take a nap here and take a nap there. But if you ever wanted him up, all my mom had to do was turn on the, the comal and heat up a tortilla. Boom. He'd be there like in, in a minute, you know. And uh, every time I go back home and I, um, I spend a lot of time with my mom, because after my father passed, uh, I moved back with her uh, for a few years. But it's always good to reminisce, you know, those, those little moments that, you know, really spoke to who he was as a person, right? Um, and he just had an appetite, you know, all the time, you know, like, he's kind of guy that if you offered him something, he was never going to say no to you, because in his mindset, he was being offensive if he turned down whatever food you're offering him. So even if he wasn't hungry, he'd like, ah, al rato, you know, ¿Quieres esto? Ah, a lo mejor al rato, you know, and, and it's just a nice attitude, you know, just, just a good attitude of a person, you know, like 
never would you see him upset and you know just so easygoing and just you know, very lighthearted you know una persona you know un buen hombre uh and and that, i guess those are the the things that I, i i remember most of my dad just how easygoing he was you know and and, and for the life of me i you know i'm like that to a, to a certain extent but uh, i just can't be as cool as that you know like i'm i'm constantly you know, worried about something, you know, I'm, I'm probably more like your dad, hearing your dad's voice and hearing, and that's me telling myself that all the time, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, I wish I could be as cool as my dad in that sense. You know? So what is one lesson, maybe there's many, but what is one lesson that, that you are carrying with you now that you're a grown man, Uh, Ramon, you're a father and a husband. Um, you, Juan, also, you know, the role that you have now with your mom as, as support, as, you know, this sort of compadre, no? Like continuing to um, nourish that relationship and remember, you know, your dad. So what what is a lesson or lessons that you think you carry with you in this moment? For me, it's, uh, I know I've mentioned several, uh, but for me right now, when it, when it comes to this and where we're at, uh, is to keep the family together, do everything possible to, to stay afloat, do everything possible for my wife, do everything possible for my two boys. Uh, ours is a, a, a different situation than when my parents, you know, they planned, uh, they planned us four years apart. There's four of us, but with, with, with me, I have a 13 year old and my wife and I tried for years and we gave up and all of a sudden. Last year, um, our, 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 new, our, our son came around. He's nine months old now. So we have a 13-year-old and, and, and nine months. But his, his voice and his words and those life lessons, I carry with me, with me forever now, being a husband, being a father. Um, you know, uh, the, the space between our two boys are, 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 is, pretty, is pretty big. But at the same time, uh, my, my dad and my mom were, before he passed, were married for 56 years. They dated eight years prior to that as well. So they were together for 60 something years. And um, um, I'm hoping I get to live that long and have that, that, that beautiful life that he did and, and watch his daughters and, and his son uh, grow up to be the people that they are. I'm hoping I can do the same and, and watch my family grow and my sons grow too. Many lessons that I should have learned and, and I didn't from my father. Uh, just, I'm a little hard headed sometimes. Uh, but I, I think a, a couple of things that really stuck out and that I really learned is just sacrifice that you make you know my father was a talented person you know he could you know could, he was really good at carpentry work and he was very you know he'd come up with these crazy ideas and do them um like little 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 things he'd create around the house and you know he sacrificed you know the skills that he had to provide for the family you know whether it was his you know, brothers and sisters when his father passed away, his mother, uh, or, you know, getting married with my mother and, and raising a family, you know, and I think he sacrificed a lot, uh, a lot of personal sacrifices, you know, for family. I think I've been very fortunate to, the little sacrifice that I've done in my life have been to a minimal, right? You know, I, I left Lubbock when my father passed away to, to spend time with my mother. And some of the sacrifices that I've made in life are very different from his. Uh, with that exception, you know, I've, I've been very blessed in life where uh, I had to sacrifice my family for my career, which is not the same, uh, but 
I think the one thing that I really learned from him is that work is priority, right? And I am where I am now because of work, right? I, I am so far away from, from, from home uh, due to my job, right? And I don't take that for granted because uh, any time that I have on my hands, I, I love to spend with my family, just connecting with what family life meant to my father. Uh, I, I reflect on that now. And, and anytime I, anytime I have a chance, either I'll, I'll bring my family up here or I'll go visit them in South Texas and just enjoy that family time. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, not, not take that for granted. Right. Because, you know, we're here one day and then we're gone the next. Uh, but just having an appreciation for my family, I think is, 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 is a, an incredible uh, lesson that, that my father taught me. Um, what do you feel is the, is something unique to Latino fathers or both of you are Chicano, Mexican American grew up in, in a, in the same region, right. In the Rio Grande Valley. Um, so Tejanos, um, tell me about what you feel is unique, um, about Latino fathers or Mexican American fathers, um, in your experience. It goes to my experiences, like I said, as my uh, father evolved, uh, the whole, um, the machismo, setting it aside. And what, what is known traditionally, or we thought traditionally, when you hear about Latino, Chicano, or, or Mexican-American fathers, or, or Mexicanos themselves, uh, you think about the strong Latino machismo. But the way he evolved, because he's, you know, the, my early memories are of him being like that, to the man he became, at, you know, to the very end, it changed. It changed drastically. It was, it was polarization. It went from one end to the other end. And, but the, the, the one thing uh, he, he wasn't great at showing, and this is probably because of his upbringing, was affection. Uh, he was very affectionate to my sisters, you know, very, very affectionate to my sisters. And I just spoke to my sisters when we were back home uh, for my dad's uh, services is that, you know, he would always tell you guys that he loved you and that he was proud of you. And, you know, I really wouldn't get those, those words uh, or maybe he would and show it to me in a different way. I think it was part still a part of that ingrained that don't show your emotions and he was you know stoic at, at times and he would have it was hard to make him laugh and when he did you know I never really ever saw him cry I never really saw him be affectionate to my mom although they were married for so many years uh I, uh, I saw him be affectionate to my sisters uh maybe he broke a lot of a lot of the different cycles and different traditions and different things that he grew up with but th that was one that he didn't let go of and that's one thing I'd like to share with any 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 Latino fathers, Chicano fathers, or, or Mexican American fathers that are out there is uh, to 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 like like Juan said to appreciate your family and not to be afraid to show your emotions and and share with your family your love and, and affection as well. And and what I'm trying to do now and and I'd like to share and I share with my students as well is don't be afraid to show your emotions as long as you keep them in check and you know you don't let them get the best of you. Um, don't be afraid to do it. And uh, I'm, I'm still working on it, uh, you know, for like 47 years old and, and I have two kids now and, and uh, uh, I'm trying to appreciate it a little bit more, taking time to reflect and like, like one said, appreciate the family, appreciate every moment, being able to share your affection, being able to share your emotions and show your love to your family, because that's and nowadays, this is what kids need and kids need to thrive on. And hopefully that uh, that'll help them move forward and feel supportive. I think that we often are very reductive on how we see manliness or manhood or machismo or uh, Latinos in general, right? And we tend to put people in boxes and say, you know, you're supposed to be this, that, and the other. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that 
the Latino male experience can be so diverse. Uh, we're complex human beings, right? And sometimes we don't fully want to appreciate that, right? And yeah, you know, yeah, does toxic masculinity exist? Yeah, of course it does, right? Uh, but not all males are toxic. I really appreciated that about my father. Uh, I was very close to my mom's brothers, my, my tios. And my tios had these crazy ideas of what it meant to be a man, you know. And, uh, you know, as a little kid, you know, they tell you, hey, you know, you're not going to have one girlfriend. You're going to have five girlfriends. And I'll look at my dad. I'm like, but my dad only has one wife. Who's wrong here? Who's right? Right? And you start asking those questions as, as, and you, I look at my dad, like, and I might, I look at my mom and like, is that true that I'm supposed to have, you know, multiple girlfriends? My dad would say, put, put it straight. Like, no, you know, do you see me with multiple women? I only have one wife. Right. Uh, but it, it, there's just a diversity of, of what it means to be a Latino male, right. Or what can be a Latino male. And I think my father always was very, very low-key, very shy, very, very quiet. But I think what was in common between my father and my uncles was that they were very hardworking, right? And, and they understood uh, that for that generation to thrive, uh, it was about putting in the hard work, right? And being supportive because uh, my uncles were just as supportive to their sons and daughters as my father was supportive to me and my sister. Right. So uh, when when you say what's unique and, and I'm sure we share this in common with many, many groups of people. Right. But I think for some reason, uh, Latinos, Chicanos, Mexican-Americans, it's like that unwavering support that we have to offer our children, uh, regardless of the situation. Right. Uh, regardless of how bad we mess up or regardless of, you know, what we need in life you could always count on that person to, to be fully supportive of any of our crazy ideas, right? Or our crazy situations, right? And, and when I look at the Latino father and mother, too, you know, as well, I think we, 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 I think that's what may set us apart, right? And, and I'm not saying that other communities don't do it, right? Because obviously they do, right? Uh, but, you know, there's almost no limits uh, to that you know, parental love. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I agree with you that it doesn't necessarily have to be um, only Latino fathers, uh, but I think there there is that, right, um, generation. And I, I like how um, Ramon also, also is speaking of maybe the new generation of fathers and how, um, you know, some things that maybe were not experienced and, and younger uh, or uh, excuse me, older generations due to work or, you know, uh, necessities that had to, you know, the food that had to be put on the table and in the time um, that they didn't have maybe as much to um, be with their families, that this new generation has an opportunity to to do more in that regard, right? To focus a little bit more on getting to know their children in different ways, uh, like their school or their interests or the sports. And I, and I do think I see fathers, right. Uh, Latino fathers showing up more at school functions, at, uh, sports events for their children. 
Um, and I and I think I can see a little bit of a shift of more presence there um, in the activities that um, generations ago were primarily women who did that, right? Some of the things that I do as a father now, uh, based on what I've learned from from my dad's experiences and what he was, how he was with with our family, is um, the evolutionary change. And me being a, I, I I teach everything biology. One of my favorite concepts is is, is evolution because of how uh, the concept itself. It's it's not about the smartest or the strongest or the fastest to survive. It's those that can adapt to change. And that's basically what my dad did in a nutshell. He taught me how to adapt to change, and you know, um, but he he was someone that that was able to adapt to the different situations, circumstances from the very beginning, from when he had my sister, my oldest sister, to my youngest sister. Not only that, is becoming a grandfather, and then becoming a great grandfather, and how he evolved. That in itself, the evolutionary process from him being who he was to where he was as a great grandfather and being with the great grandkids. My son Ramon Trey got to spend with his with, with his grandfather and the stories that he shares with me because we would send my we would send my son to El pa from El Paso to Brownsville for two weeks in the summer since he was three so he would spend two weeks with my grand with his grandparents my, my grandfather and he started sharing stories I didn't even know about uh after he after he passed and it's just hearing those stories and seeing that look on my dad's face when he met Rodrigo that he was at peace and he I think he finally saw how far he came along from the person he was to the man he had, had become to the very end and he was happy. That's great. That's a great memory. Having such an amazing father and just being around, you know, such a good person, you know, um, actually has, you know, has moved me in the way that I do want to have children one day. And I, I do want to, you know, be able to provide the guidance and the parenting that my father uh, gave to me. And, and, and yeah, you know, I, I think where I'm at in my life right now, I, I do share, you know, the guidance that, you know, my parents, both my parents have, have, have given me to, 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 to the students, right? Been moved in that direction just by being around just amazing parents and, and just like the phrase you used earlier, you know, paying it forward, you know, and I think uh, I, I just find it that there's no reason why I shouldn't provide that guidance. Uh, I, I could reflect nowadays and say, hey, you know what, I, I, was, I was blessed to have such an amazing father, amazing mother. There's no reason why uh, I shouldn't pay it forward, right? And, and I do, and, I, 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 and it's different because we're talking about a different generation, right? Where the generation that we grew up in you know, it took a village to raise someone, right? And if you could provide that, if, if someone else, you know, whether it was a tia, a tío, a neighbor, a compadre provided you with guidance, you, you, you didn't question it, right? You, you, if they were trying to correct your behavior, you went with it, right? And yeah, you know, our, our society nowadays is, it's, it's, you know, you know, and it, it ha it's a reflection of what we've been through the last 40 years or so, you know, it's very individualistic where, you know, some people would take offense, you know, how dare you try to, you know, llamarme la atención, right? And how dare you try to correct me, you know, but, you know, I'm still of that generation where, yes, yes, I'll, I'll do it. Can you share your, uh, Ramon, I know your father uh, was Ramon Benavides. Yes. And Juan, what was your father's name? Uh, David Coronado Jr. 
Mm-hmm. And, be, and you share their names too, both of you. I, I share my father's middle name now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, thank you so much, both of you, for this conversation and for the memories you shared. I appreciate you participating. Thank you.